Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. This is the Inspiring Leaders podcast, and I'm Emma Kane. I'm Chief Executive of Newgate Communications and Deputy CEO of SEC Newgate. I'm also the Chair of Target Ovarian Cancer, Chair of the Barbican Centre Trust, and a board member of the Elton John AIDS Foundation. Fantastic. Emma, it's great having you on the series. I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks, and this is my favourite time of the week. You were recommended by Jonathan. Uh, who knows you in the uh, the Barbican, Jonathan Poyner. And uh, he's been a big supporter of this. And he said, you've got to have Emma on the series. She is involved in so many things, does so much for so many people. So it's lovely to have you on the series. Tell us a bit about those kind of things that you're doing at the moment. And then we'll talk a bit about your life. So, you know, it's interesting to hear each of them, but um, begin wherever you want to begin. Um, so the group that I'm um, chief executive of, um, I sold my business into that uh, that group back in 2018, which was uh, to take me 18 years to build up my own company and then decided that as the world was changing and becoming more digital, that I would um, become part of a larger global group. So that is the role I have now. And um, the other roles that I have that are in the charity sector uh, are involved very much in sort of in health and culture and, and areas that I'm really passionate about. Yeah, it's fantastic. So I'm really interested, what, what shaped you? I mean, you're doing so much for so many other people and uh, any one of those organisations makes a real difference. Where did it all begin in life? I mean, was, was it your parents that shaped you, various teachers? You know, I'm interested in the ups and downs and the highs and the lows uh, and how it brought you to this point. Well, uh, it's not a conventional story. So I started off life as a tenor saxophonist um, weren't expecting me to say that. And I, I was a, a poor tenor saxophonist. Um, so, you know, earning enough money to pay for my uh, cigarettes and beer. But um, my then boyfriend suggested that I should get a job and um, make a bit more of a contribution. And I had a choice of going and being a fireman or being a um, learning how to type. And so I learned how to type on one of the government uh, training courses back in the day called the Manpower Services Commission. Um, and I, um, I did my typing course and then he said, now you have to get a job as well. So I um, went to the, um, a recruitment consultant and I got a, offered a job in a PR agency and I had no idea what that meant, but it was uh, a good way of keeping the boyfriend quiet at the time and bringing in uh, a few pounds. But uh, it was a bit like that film Working Girl. So I, um, you know, after a couple of weeks in, uh, I thought, oh, I could do this. And I used to stay late and work on ideas for campaigns that um, they were working on. And slowly but surely, every day I was going in with my saxophone because I was going off gigging in the evening. And, you know, one day I had to make the decision and the saxophone sort of got replaced with a briefcase. But that was the start of life. Um, and uh, I think the great thing there was I, I was so ignorant about hierarchy and, um, you know, uh, and so on, but that I made friends with everybody and I made a lot of friends down the corridor, which I think is a very important thing in, in business. Uh, and so when my boss left um, and tried to take me with her saying, you'll never be promoted to an executive, that was when I decided that I would use some of the contacts I had down the corridor and ask them to give me a chance to promote me to an ex executive. So this is back in the mid eighties when I was just five years old, obviously. Um, and um, so I got my first break then from somebody I'd made friends with down the corridor and, uh, and then worked my way up. It's, it's fantastic. And uh, as people can see, you've got a great backdrop there. Um, now tell, tell us where you are in the story, because I think the story in itself is lovely of, of the setting of where you are. Go on, tell us all. <laughs> so I am sitting in a hotel room in Barbados. I've got three more days to go uh, before my 15 days in quarantine uh, in Barbados were, um, ends. And then I'm making my way to the United States where my daughter is having a baby. So I managed to find a way to sort of hack the system in the safest way possible uh, to be there with her um, for the birth at the beginning of November. 
but I've been so I've been working from home leading from the front showing that it can be done yeah um, and uh, probably never worked as hard <laughs> <laughs> and how has it been during COVID I mean clearly this is one of the impacts of, of how you've managed to keep the family together and, and be a supportive mum I'm about to be uh, a grandparent as well my uh, my stepson Daniel he and his fiance um, are having a, a baby at Christmas so so Lee and I are very excited about that um, but how are you finding COVID affecting you, your business, and the way you're, you're adjusting, the way you work? Well, congratulations, first, uh, first of all, on your, your new grandchild. That's very exciting news. Um, in terms of the, the pandemic, the way um, I've seen it is that we're all in the same storm, but we're not necessarily in the same boat. Um, and so that has really sort of been very interesting in terms of the different organizations I'm, I'm with. So, you know, health related charities have had you know, very uh, specific issues coupled with uh, all uh, all of those charities I work with having their main fundraising periods sort of nuked at the same time. Um, so it's been the biggest test of the skills and tricks that I've learned over the last 30 years of my career. I think the sort of hallmark throughout is that everybody's been looking for um, strong leadership and a clear vision. And uh, in my day job, I found myself with 600 people around the world going in and out of lockdown at different times. Um, so I think, you know, the I spend a lot of my day job uh, helping companies prepare and supporting them through crises. And the difference with this one is really the, um, the longevity of it and the intensity of it. I mean, we know that, um, you know, crises are always things that are sort of uh, all consuming, but this has just been, you know, relentless. And so as, as business leaders, we've never had a bigger role to play. Um, and the main job has been really sort of retaining the confidence of all those people, reminding them that we do actually have a vision because, um, I mean, when you set sail from, um, let's say, Barbados to United States, you may say, right, okay, you know, you don't sort of get in your boat and put your sails in one direction and just head off and never change. You have to sort of tack and, you know, and you, you, you but you know where you're heading. And so we had to reset out our roadmap to navigate our way into to safe harbours. Yeah, and that really reminds me, so I suppose with my, my military background, we talk about a clear mission analysis of the situation, mm -hmm. clear sense of vision and purpose and an end state where you want to get there. But en yeah. route, you will be blown off. And, and yeah. as long as you know your end state where you want to get to, the harbour, you have a sense of purpose, that's really important. But always readjusting it is, is called tempo, that you, you go at speed in that direction and you suddenly have to change and chink and go in that direction and that direction. But that, that your ultimate end state is very clear. It's just mm -hmm. how you're going to adjust. So I, I really resonate with that. And I also was uh, talking to a scientist uh, earlier today um, who's really closely involved in the RNA sequencing of the, the virus. And he's saying, mm. I think there's sort of 34 components to this RNA sequence and the proteins of this uh, COVID-19. And all 34,000 of them are all one by one changing. So it's modifying and changing. And who knows, it might potentially be a much more dangerous uh, virus that evolves. So mm -hmm. we're in the first quarter, is his view, if you look at it like a baseball game. Yeah. Um, and now we're in the, uh, entering the second quarter, which will be over the winter months. It'll be harder, probably a bigger wave than wave one. And that we really need to take this very seriously. And I don't think some people are. Yes, you've got to carry on with business and life. But his view was it's only the first quarter. We're just finishing. We're just entering the second quarter. And, and so maybe we'll have a vaccine in March, hmm. which maybe get us back on the road again in October. But the vaccine was for a virus that was earlier and it will have mutated and evolved a lot. And so we're gonna have to like, it, it's what, it's called an endemic situation. So flu is endemic, it's always with us. So COVID-19, yeah. coronavirus will always be with us. So we have to adjust a way of working in a lifestyle that adjusts the fact it's always gonna be around and doing heat sensors don't work anyway. You're, you're actually gonna have to keep having a, an ability to test and retest frequently. Mm. So what's yeah. your I thoughts mean, of how it's going to be, how, how are you going to live your, your working life and your life at home, do you think, going forward 2021 and beyond? Well, I mean, it, it goes back to sort of the start of this whole thing for me. I, I promised myself and my team that I wouldn't make any knee-jerk reactions and that, that we would think about all stakeholders, not just a few. Um, and so in terms of work rather than home, but 
to everything that we do is being done through the lens of our values. Um, so, because I think it's so easy to lose tr sort of sight of what your purpose is and you know the, the type of people that you are. So in business, we always have to make difficult decisions, but you find yourself, you know, if, you, if you're doing it through that, you know, the, the lens of those values, you can do it in the right way and for the right reasons. And so that's why on all my board packs, I insist that we have our values on the front. I start all my um, charity board meetings with a short video, uh, which sort of frames the meeting with one of the members of our community talking about um, you know, their experiences and so on, so that we, we know what we're doing. So, so I think, you know, the answer to the question is not losing sight of um, you know our purpose in life and and, and sort of why we exist um, and uh, through through all of this I mean I think one of the things that I feel most strongly about is that communication which is the industry I'm in but is at the heart of everything and that you know, it's one of the sort of golden rules in, in, in a crisis, but you have to communicate actively and transparently uh, and to sort of take people on that journey. Very wise and, and interested in your views, you know, as a leader in, in, a, in a pandemic, in a crisis, there's many other crises you've been in, this, you know, we'll, we'll get hit by other viruses and problems in the future. So we have to be able to adapt to, to situations. When you've been in good teams and with good leaders, what stands out for you? What if you look back and you you were in a good team and it all went well, or it might even be now? What what are the ingredients that you'd pass on to others as they're thinking about how they look at their own leadership and their own teams? Uh, well, I mean, maybe in terms of just in in terms of a crisis. But can I start in terms of sort of top tips for for managing this crisis? Because I think it's slightly different to um, general sort of good leadership. But I mean, in terms of um, that I think that the important thing to remember is that the first information that you get is almost always wrong. Um, so that's a really good starting point. So it just goes back to what you were saying before about, um, you know, this is, we're in for the long haul here. When at the, pe at the beginning people were thinking, okay, we've got a few months of sort of um, a tricky time and then it will all be right. And we're seeing that, as you said, this is something we're gonna have to live with. So that's the starting point. I think you always have to think about the motivation of the person who's giving you the information when you're assessing those things. I mean, you mentioned your military days, but you know, I mean, I think, you know, that that's always something to, to take into account. Um, I think speculation is a really bad thing um, in, in these situations as well. So sort of dealing with hard facts and, 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 and moving to uh, general business sort of uh, uh, way of working. I think that uh, working based on facts rather than assumption research is so important listening i think listening is one of the business skills that's uh the least valued and um and something i'm absolutely passionate about um and communicating with all stakeholders not just a few so so i think you know those are sort of rules that go through through generally but i think you know in this specific situation leaders who take that into account i think will do will do very well yeah in fact that was a conversation we had earlier about the the value of listening and uh, mm -hmm. my good friend Oscar Trimboli has been teaching me about, you know, the, the five levels of listening, listening to yourself and clearing your head of that stuff, listening to the content of the other person, listening to the context, listen to the unsaid. And one of the best questions I love, he asked, was, what is it you haven't told me yet? What is it you haven't told mm -hmm. me yet? And that's just draws out some wonderful stories. And then finally, listening for meaning. And that, you know, while 50% of our days should be listening, most people mm -hmm. are not, they're talking too much. Um, only 2% of us have been trained in listening. So it's, yeah. it's the really, it's the, the ultimate life hack to listen and really listen, deeply listen. But so yeah, well, if, you go into, if you go into Amazon and you put in listening, um, you know, into the business book section, there are about just under 700 books on that and there are about 3000 on public speaking. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, and, and, but, you know, listening is just the best secret weapon that anybody can have. Yeah, no, so, uh, it, it, uh, it, it's fascinating. And then what have you seen people do badly in uh, this particular crisis over the last six months, let's say? Um, well, I mean, I think that, that, that taking knee-jerk reactions. So um, you know, there are lots of people who have not really, um, not really understood the... Um, 
either either that they either haven't understood um, you know people properly and treating them with respect when they're when they're excellent, or they haven't really sort of understood the need you know the need for to prepare for the long term and they're just living by the moment. So I I think that. Um, uh, and, and, and having allies and bringing, getting people to, to, to come alongside you in these sort of situations uh, is, is vital. So, you know, no, going back to the fact that this is, this is uh, not a contained sort of short crisis, this is, this is something that's going to last for months and months. No leader can be at, at the front 24-7 um, for any length of time. In fact, a conversation I had with uh, Lord Bernard Hogan Howe about his time as the... Um, uh, commissioner of the, the Metropolitan Police was, was fascinating because he was, was we were talking about this need for leaders to take a break and to have stunt doubles and recharge their batteries and I think that's something that's really important so actually you know my in my own way showing people that you can still have a life you can look after your family um, as I'm going to be with my daughter and so on uh, whilst you, you can make things happen and I think that work-life balance um, and you know, recharging your batteries and being a human being is a very important part of that, that leadership journey. Spot on. And of course, with my 20 years in the military, we would have tours. I was in Bosnia a number of times, Northern Ireland a number of times, and the mm. intensity of it and the lack of sleep. We'd only do a six-month tour. And even in the six-month tour, at the three-month point, you'd have to take, you must take uh, two weeks back, rest and recuperation, what we call recover and discover chance to renew the batteries and think about things but just yeah. to be the family and after your six-month tour then they gave you an easier tour um where you were just in training development time with the family and some holidays things like that but here mm -hmm. what's happened is the leaders have been on a six-month intensive tour where they've been up at 100 percent activity and then they got another back-to-back six-month or maybe a bit of the summer they had a slight break and then it's going yep. to go through the darkest part of the of the winter for many unless unless you're in a nice part of the world but then we're going to be out into, you know, quarter three and then quarter four. So yeah. people are going to have to pace themselves because otherwise we, we, we've got a, a time bomb of a mental health problem Definitely. brewing up and, and we've really got to look after it. And, and one other yeah. thing to come back to you is um, uh, I think it was um, James uh, Cameron who worked, uh, he works in Walmart. He's looking after about 2.5 million people. Uh, and he was saying that they, when they worked in the, the bases, they'd, work, they'd drop down to 85% in the military, mm -hmm. be on a tour and, and, and take a bit of time off and relax and things. Because then when a crisis happened, you could step up to 100%. But if you're at 100% all the time, you'll un, uh, un, uh, unintentionally start to drop down to about 60% mm -hmm. and you won't know you've dropped down. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I think that's uh, good. What's, what's your thoughts? Yeah, no, I think that's that's that's... You know, spot on and um, uh, I think the other thing that um, that people are doing just in terms of uh, mistakes they're making some people when they've been looking at their budgets for uh, the year have been sort of seeing um, marketing or communications as a sort of discretionary spend um, and you could say I would say that in terms of it being a big mistake but I, I truly think that there is some great research out from some very smart people showing how uh, organizations who invest in at least maintaining their share of voice and their sort of brand profile um, during these times bounce out back out of it the fastest and I think the interesting thing is just in the terms of uh, if you look at how you know, key workers are the new celebrities in terms of the pecking order internal comms has become the sort of, you know, the, the superstar of the sort of communications uh, tree, really, whereas it was sort of something that is sometimes seen as something that the HR people did. But, uh, you know, it, it's something that's absolutely vital in these sort of situations to, to, you know, actively communicate on a regular basis with people. And so those, those businesses that don't see that and aren't finding new ways to keep the culture going. And we were having a discussion internally about whether, you know, the, the, the way that the business performed in that first sort of uh, period was because of all the sort of um, uh, benefit we'd seen of the strong culture we'd invested in for that period. But then how long does that last in the virtual world and, and bringing new people on? Is, so it's, it's, you know, again, it's all about communication. Very much I, I relate to that. And of course, the, the story I was told was during the Second World War, uh, Pears Soap, 
kept their advertising and their communications going out there. Uh, everybody else went, no, there's the war on. We'll just help and we'll, <laughs> we'll do this kind of stuff. Of course, when the war ended, everybody remembered Pear Soap. And so they came out of it incredibly well. Mm-hmm. And um, in, in my profession, uh, leadership coaching and board and executive work, um, I and my peers have seen a 50 to 80% drop in our revenues in yep. just six months. It's just because people have gone like first aid, breathing, bleeding and shock. Firstly, is the organization still breathing? Uh, are they going to bleed to death in, in lack of cash? Because they thought, oh, we can make through six months and we'll be okay. But now they're going, oh, mm. oh, oh, oh it's like this might be two years and we've yeah. really got to manage our cash flow. And of course, for them, leadership was seen as discretionary. Big firms like, you know, I don't know, I won't mention them, it'd be unfair. Suddenly yeah. went, no, we're stopping all leadership development, all coaching. And I went, in the middle of a crisis, you're not it's the time you need it most. <laughs> you're not developing your leaders. How does that make sense? You need yeah. your leaders more than ever, and they're going to get exhausted. So I think the big companies that have suddenly gone, we're going to stop that because we want to pay our partners lots of money and keep our bonuses um, and our equity share. I think that's a short term. And yeah. uh, I think it was Simon Sinek in his um, he talks about why, like you've been talking about it, but he did a lovely one about playing the finite game or the infinite game. And this is an infinite game, but they're playing it as a finite game. And it's a big mm-hmm. mistake. I don't know what your thoughts are. I mean, definitely. I, I, I agree. I think that's a, it's a huge mistake. And I think we will start to see um, the effect of those organisations that have um, failed to sort of grasp those principles. And, and, and that comes down against the culture of the organisation and, and those organisations, those that have really strong, cohesive teams that are, um, you know, where there isn't just uh, a dictator and sort of lots of people just doing things but where there's a there is a um a team who all share the same vision the same values um and who understand as well i mean i think this is an important point who understand that people work for organizations because they believe in the purpose of that organization not just because they want a job very few people um i mean if you take uh, nurses and things they're doing that job because they truly believe in caring for people and so on and they, they're, they're proud to do that um, not because of the salaries. And I think, you know, any organization needs to understand that it's people need to feel proud uh, for that organization and remember what they're there for, that they're making a difference to people's lives. Yeah, and that spot on it resonates strongly for me because mm. with the, the death of my late father, I reach over here for his, his naval hat, which uh, <laughs> and still still fits. And if the cap fits, wear it. But very proud oh, of my fantastic. father. fantastic. He was, he was sadly killed when I was three flying um, oh. he saved the lives of two other people but they told me that he bought their ticket he died in their place saving their lives as commanding officer and and they said you've got a you've got a, a choice here you can be a victim poor me no dad mum 35 with three boys or you can say my father was my inspiration and I will find other inspiring mm. men and women mm. and pass on what I'm learning to them um, and, and that's that's a calling, that's a vocation. And so even though times are tough for me, I will still be doing this. And I, I you know, it's, 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 it's my dharma the, the, in the Hindu um, religion. They'll talk about your dharma, your, your journey, your life journey. And I think this is mm-hmm. important that organizations have their dharma. And, and this is yeah. why in a crisis, people will gather behind those kind of people because they know that they're living their lives on purpose and they've got something that's worthwhile. Whereas, um, Many people find these days uh, that they've lost their way a bit. Uh, one CEO said very aptly, uh, the three things during this crisis, digitization of my business, I've got to completely digitize it so that we can live this yep. kind of world. Secondly, diversity and inclusion, Black Lives Matter. Um, it's just such a big issue and people who don't realize it, they're, they're very foolish. And ESG, doing something like you were saying of value where, where it is about the environment. I mean, look at big foods and big agriculture and the damage they're doing. Mm. People aren't realizing that. Mm. So, so there's some very mm. big movements going on in the world. And of course, the rise of China, the descent of America. Um, I'm, I'm enjoying a book called Fantasyland, which is about America. You've got to read it. It's a cracking mm-hmm. book. It's an audio book. Um, and, and so I think that's the interesting time we have. What, what, what's, what's your build on that? Um, well, I think somebody's been reading my business plan <laughs> because all those things you say um you know do actually apply and uh, 
are very much a focus moving forward and we're, we're looking at how we can move um, you know from being relatively analog into being very digital um, I think you know the creativity just thinking so just on a point you made before about um, you know people some partners just keeping all of the, the money for themselves where there, there isn't, I mean, in one of my charities where there wasn't the ability to say thank you in financially, um, to say thank you so much for sort of really stepping up during this period, we've given everybody an extra week's holiday. Um, you can be creative, you can, you know, you have to think about the needs of those people. Um, and, you know, okay, so people can't really go away, but the, the work, extra work they'd be putting in the stress means that they've got a week extra spend with their family and so on. So I think, I think there's a lot of things that that need to be done. I think those organisations that uh, talk about some of the diversity inclusion things as more of a tick box exercise will get exposed. Yes. Um, and we've seen some some things where brands have been caught out by just trying to sort of jump in. And I think the only way it goes back to listening, um, you know, you and I don't know what it's like to be in some of those communities. And we need people who are experts and who could really help us do the right things rather than us just making assumptions about things so there's yeah. a lot of uh, a lot of things that we've all got to learn um yeah. and uh yeah so well just just building on that um two people i was talking to recently one as a chief people officer was saying how um their boss doesn't really get it we, 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 diversity is sort out it's just about inclusion no 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 yeah it, it really is and and we've lost people who are of color um, and black skin, and we're going to have to look at that. And why are we losing them? Oh, it's it's no, no, it's it's very big, and it's going to blow in our face. And the mm -hmm. other one, uh, big, I'm big into reverse mentoring. Encouraged him to reverse mentor. He got, uh, he's a scientist. He got another scientist from Zimbabwe, who who said to him, "You don't understand what it's like. Firstly, being in science as a woman, and then mm -hmm. being black and in science, and 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 in a, a predominantly white environment, and, and even your name." If you have an English sounding Absolutely. name, well, but you then come in and they go, oh, and you can see them go like that. Oh, I wasn't expecting you. Well, who were you yeah. expecting? You know, it, it's, I mean, I, I, had, I had a fascinating conversation with Gustavo Dudamel from the who's the um, leader of the um, doctor of the L.A. Philharmonic Orchestra. And they've got one of the most diverse orchestras. And I said to him, so, you know, tell me, how have you managed to do this where so many other orchestras have failed? And he said, you know, picking up on terms of, you know, they don't know who they're auditioning. So they haven't, they don't know whether they're male, female, what their name is. They um, put a screen up so they don't even see these people. But interesting, they even put a carpet yes, down. For, for so the they shoes. can't hear, they they're can't hear the shoes, yeah. the wheels coming in or whatever it might be. And I thought that was fabulous. And, 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 and also we were talking about the youth program and how they get people involved. And this is just sort of taking it to another level. He said to me, I said, you know, how do you get all these young people involved with them? And he said, Emma, you can't get kids just to eat vegetable. You have to give them some fries too. So he said, we're doing things with like Coldplay with, but with a whole orchestra. So people, you know, that's their fries. And I think as business leaders, this is what we've got to do as well. We've got to find a way to kind of make this all work, to, to be more creative, not to just sort of tick boxes. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, and, 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 you, you end up with something that's so much better. I mean, I believe greatly in, in um, sort of the diversity of backgrounds of people as well, um, because, you know, that's something that's overlooked. And I think I have an interesting story where I had some kids from a very, um, uh, you know, sort of a, a South London school who, you know, were not from a privileged background. And they came and spent some time in the office and there were these six kids and I was chatting to them at the end of their stay uh, with us and I said so you know tell me about it what's what's been the most exciting thing to you what you know any any clues on how this might influence your future career and the first one said I really want to be a credit controller <laughs> and I thought you know a credit controller I never you know I, I think I have quite a glamorous business and I was not expecting that and you know why that was it's because those kids could relate far more to the team who are in our credit you know, in our accounts department yeah. than they could to somebody else. And I thought, well, that, you know, that's fascinating. I mean, the world needs more great credit controllers. So they were all going to do their maths sort of, yeah. uh, you know, homework now. But it, it's just, you know, it's, it well, was just it, interesting. But it, it's fascinating. And I'm going to get you talking in a minute uh, about the, the charities like the, uh, the Elton John AIDS Foundation mm -hmm. and, and, and how you get involved in those. But I just want to touch on two things that you've triggered for me. 
one is expectation management. So Lee, my wife, grew up in a convent school in a rural part of Ireland where they had to hide from the bailiff behind the chair um, because mum was so poor. She was, the, she was the pariah. She was the first divorcee in a Catholic town uh, mm. in, in, in west, the west of the Republic of Ireland. And that was very tough. Uh, and so when she grew up, all she knew was the nuns. So she thought she'd be a nun. And then she got taught at school. So she thought she'd be a teaching nun. And then she watched The Sound of Music, so she thought she'd be a teaching singing nun. But actually, <laughs> luckily, they escaped from that, came back to England, and she saw other opportunities. And one of the things yeah. now, Lee set up the Inspiring Leadership Trust only four years ago because she wrote a book, Inspiring Women Leaders. She, she wanted to get over the abuse that uh, she'd gone through, where her life had been threatened by her father, who then, luckily, her mother escaped from that situation. But, but it stuck with her. So she wanted to help other people who are less fortunate than she is about social mobility and, and, and having a chance. But we found that Lee's had to take her, her charity as much as she can, digitized, you know, online and online mm -hmm. learning and things mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. But the, the, the minimizing the costs because the, the, the amount that people are giving now has come right down. Mm -hmm. So really that's been our experience of charity. It is a very tough environment. Over to you with the charities and things that you support, what's been your experience and tell us about what you've been involved in. Well, actually, if I could just take one step back in terms of getting involved in, so you talk about Lee and her experiences, you talked about your, your very moving story about your father. Um, and, you know, for, for me, the, um, the trigger for getting involved in, um, charities was really back when um, my youngest son was nine months old and got meningococcal septicemia um, and was rushed to hospital, uh, was one of the sickest child children who sort of ever survived and he was in hospital for three and a half months, lost his leg, lost all his fingers, you know, a horrendous experience so um, and I and I sat in hospital with him for that whole time. I didn't go home for sort of one minute during it and was looking at all the pieces of equipment with these little stickers on saying COSMIC, which stood for Children of St Mary's Intensive Care. And I became acutely aware during that time that, you know, the one ventilator they had for, you know, babies of that age, uh, if that broke down, my son's life was, you know, over. Um, every, you know, every pump, every everything had been funded by and even though it's a national health hospital, so the state paid for the, the consultants and the doctors and nurses, but the rest was down to the charity. And so that was where that was the first charity that I got involved with. And I spent many years fundraising um, for them. Um, and then um, I got the next involvement was uh, the Vena Library, which is um, the um, uh, sort of oldest Holocaust um, uh, collection and archive and uh, and covers other genocide as well as a fascinating um, place and and so on and then um, what, was your target of what was your connection with that is your family Jewish or have you uh, Jewish yes or? exactly sort of a Jewish family and yeah. um, but uh, you know, just such an important archive and and um, you know now when you look at sort of what's happened in Rwanda and and yeah. and um, uh, other genocides it's it's you know it's very very important that we document well, these things well uh, one of the most back to your thing about meaning and purpose and mm. the reason why one of the most profound books for me is victor frankl man's search for meaning yes and he yeah, was great. a holocaust survivor who absolutely who really has had a huge impact way beyond mm -hmm. his his life and isn't that, that lovely mm -hmm. story i think it's a it's an african story about plant trees under whose shade you will no, never sit to, to make a difference which might be beyond your life. Do you like that as, a, as a, a, an analogy? I, I absolutely, uh, absolutely agree. Um, and, 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 and so on. And so my, I, I then that was my sort of how I first got involved in different charities. And then um, the Barbican is my sort of spiritual home. So talk about no such thing as a free dinner. So I, I used to go a lot. I then got invited to them by, uh, for a, the launch of their patron scheme, became a patron, got spotted, asked to be, become a trustee and then after a while asked to become chair um, and uh, you know that's my, my spiritual home. Um, so, so and, and we'll come on to the, uh, the, the other charities in a minute because I've just triggered something in mind. If, if I met the young Emma uh, at that time with boyfriend playing an instrument and not working out, what bit of advice, because it's always great to get bits of advice with the hindsight 
of all that yeah. you've been through, the highs and lows and the battle scars. What bit of advice would you give the young Emma who might be listening there? Don't, don't be afraid of public speaking. Oh, um, that held me back more than anything else, which may seem bizarre. I was very happy performing, you know, playing my saxophone, but I was very unhappy about speaking. And uh, I think particularly for women, um, I don't like generalizing, but I think there is a thing of this fear of kind of getting up and getting it wrong and not being good enough and, and, and so on. And the thing that changed it, there are two things that changed it for me. One was somebody saying to me, um, Emma, nobody knows what your story is. So nobody's gonna know whether you've said what you were meant to or not. You know, you're not reciting Shakespeare and Mr. Hull sort of, you know, verse out or whatever. It, it is, um, you know, it's your story. So that really helped. Um, the other for me personally was when I saw my the, the son that I described earlier uh, standing on the stage at the O2 delivering a TED talk at the age of 17. What? And yeah, and looking at him and just thinking, you are the most remarkable person. You haven't got a single note. There's all hundreds of people, thousands of people, are, um, and you're wow. just doing it. So I thought, get over yourself, Emma, you can do this. That is amazing. Tell us more about your son. Okay, so he is, uh, he's just um, qualified he this, uh, he's called Patrick. Patrick. Uh, Patrick Patrick Kane, he um, graduated this year in biochemistry from Edinburgh. Uh, he is um, an ambassador for UK Sepsis Trust. So he is, you know, passionate about spreading the word um, about, you know, the signs of sepsis. Um, well, what, so are the signs? Been... what are the signs? What are the signs, Emma? Of sepsis? I'm, not the ambassador. I'm not the ambassador, so I can't I know. them off. <laughs> but... <laughs> well, that's sounds fair. No, I, I'll look it up. Don't worry, I'll look it up. Not <laughs> that I'm suddenly thinking like that I, I know someone who has it, but yeah. Um, no, but it, it, I mean, you know, you get, I mean, my husband also had sepsis and, um, you know, it was, you know, cold and shivery. It's... Um, and then there's, 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 uh, there are six key signs, which I'm um, embarrassed not to remember right now. But don't worry, don't worry. I'll go it, in them. Anyway, it'll come to you halfway through. You go, oh, oh. Yeah. Anyway, he yeah. is the ambassador for Sexy Ghost Sepsis, and he's also uh, an ambassador for um, uh, Touch Bionics, which is uh, which has now been bought by Ossor, who make he, he is the youngest person in the world to be fitted with a bionic arm, yeah, um, cool. which is a remarkable thing, which has changed his life. Uh, and he has a prosthetic leg, um, but his his arm is is an amazing thing. So he's been the face of Apple when they did their sort of technology that changes people's lives, the Worldwide Developers Conference. Um, he's done Wired Next Generation talks and things. He's he's remarkable. Um, oh, but he's one of he's one of five. The others are all great too. <laughs> so so Emma, when are we going to get him on the Inspiring Leadership? Oh, you say the word, you will find him. Well, we're going to have uh, him on. Amazing. Let's let's, okay. let's make that happen. <laughs> let's make that happen. And and also if you want to think of anybody else i normally ask everybody to pay it forward with two other people they think would be inspiring no problem to those listening so drop me a note it, and uh, it would be my pleasure i look forward to, to hosting patrick it, how old is patrick now is he still 17? 23 23 yeah no i'd love to, i'd love to have him on great because particularly um with my background as you can understand uh, a number of my friends uh yes. lost arms and legs to um mm. iranian uh, sourced uh, off-route mines uh, in Iraq, uh, provided by the Revolutionary Guard kindly, uh, which blew up friends of mine. And we had the oldest serving um, uh, serviceman, uh, an officer who got shot as well in Iraq, and uh, mm. David Richmond, and he works for the veterans in the cabin office, and he was very inspired. Oh, does he? Okay. He was yeah. on this series just before. Oh, great. I must look at that one. Yeah. Um, so, so back to you. More on the charity. I'm yeah. fascinated by yeah. the various charities and uh, and what got you into that. And and clearly, you're massive in giving, and you you've you've suffered a such a major traumatic event in your life. I, I cannot imagine what it's like. Mm. I can't even put myself in your shoes. And uh, but I, I I feel for what you've been through. So. so that uh, is about you giving back. What do you find, if it's not unfair to ask you, what do you get in return? Because it, it is about reciprocity. You get something from it. From from how, yeah. what do you find you get in return? So uh, if I if I start with the business side of what I get from it, I sit on the board these boards with some of the most incredible men and women, um, and 
all looking at the same board pack from quite different angles. So, I mean, a good board is one where everybody has, you know, a range of skills and backgrounds and so on. And so, so listening to um, people, one of my, on target ovarian cancer, one of the trustees is Sonia Branch, who's the general counsel for the Bank of England. You know, these are incredible people who, when I'm, um, or on the Barbican Centre board, you know, the range of people with real expertise, way beyond mine in certain areas. So, so I, learn a lot from the way that they look at uh, issues and then I can take that back into my own business uh, and I, my, I think that anybody on uh, in any organization at, at a senior level should have a, at least one external um, uh, uh, non-exec directorship or trustee role I think you, you learn so much so so I get a lot of that and, and and my business world is a huge part of my life so that feeds uh, a lot of that um, I like to think that, I mean, my particular thing that I bring to boards other than when I'm chairing them, but is um, in um, communications and fundraising and sort of that whole networking thing. And so I like to think that, um, you know, the, from each one, I get new connections and things that, that none of them compete with each other, obviously. So, so that all helps. Um, um, and, and, I, and I like the, the thought that's on, so for the Elton John AIDS Foundation, the mm. idea that by 2030, which is so soon, we could end up with no new HIV transmissions in the UK. I mean, that is just a phenomenal thing that I would be very proud to say in 2030, we did it, what a great thing. And, it, and we could see how it can be done. And that, you know, that all those, those populations that, you know, really need that support and in some very difficult to reach sort of communities and so on, that's exciting. Target ovarian cancer, again, we, I, I've learned how to do, you know, some really uh, very sophisticated business planning, which I never from my homegrown sort of background uh, didn't learn, but in terms of the theory of change and how we are going to get from where we are now to in 2050, you know, all women surviving an ovarian cancer diagnosis. And if you look at what's happened in breast cancer over the last 20 years, um, you know, such huge leaps have been made. And, and, and I feel, again, very inspired and uh, honoured to be part of something that is going to have this impact on so many people's lives. And the Barbican, I mean, culture is such a huge part of, of my life and um, and so supporting that. So I get wonderful um, experiences out of that, but, but also just helping take culture into sort of schools and helping replace things that have been lost uh, as a result of the cuts and so on and and really making sure that everybody gets that same exposure so my my life started um you know through an opportunity that i had and um you know took me in a certain but so many people you know have never seen an orchestra or a jazz band or whatever it might be and i think just you know i, I feel good that everyone's going to get a, a reasonable dose of culture at some stage of their life that's great and and you are living by that term well the three things that my friend roger steer says are important the three hums your humanity, your humility comes across, and also a lovely, lovely twinkle and that sense of, of humour. But also, there's that that saying about sending the lift back down when you're very fortunate and you've risen to the top floor of the building. Always remember to send the lift back down, even though that's the, very nice. The actor who said it uh, fell into discredit, which was a shame. Um, <laughs> but but it's annoying uh, how that happens, isn't it? <laughs> it is, and and people want to hack at at people who were once heroes to you. I remember I, I used to think that Lance Armstrong, with all his cancer, I was just so oh, inspired by him. I'd cycle hard yeah. thinking about that, but only to find that, um, that he's actually, there's um, a really dark side to him, which I just didn't know about. Um, uh, conscious that you're uh, busy and there's lots of things to do. I must get you, by the way, to talk to Lee. Um, you and, and my wife would love it, particularly because her charity has only been going four years and helping young vulnerable girls 16 to 25, particularly when they're going I'd love to modern day slavery and this, this, the, the abuse rates are going up. And of course, they're living with their abusers in this in this condition. So it's really, really tough. Mm -hmm. And she's working with serious organized crime of the Home Office and the Department of Work and Pensions in many of the towns here. But but also she did some great work in Kenya in the slums of Nairobi and in South Africa in KwaZulu Natal, but that's another story. I'll, I'll get the two of you to meet because I think you get on well. Um, what about, um, I think uh, we've talked about some of those darkest moments. A any other dark moments in your work or your life? And I'm also conscious that 
you know, when do you sleep? I mean, you, you, you talk about work-life balance, but you know, the pace you work at, how do you get balance? Because part of the problem many of the leaders that I know are having, and it's one for Lee and I to manage so we don't work too late at night and our weekends as well, because we're trying to keep the charity going, is how do you put boundaries in place? Perhaps you could talk a bit about that because you, okay. you clearly are doing a lot of things. I'll do boundaries and then then I'll share um, some more dark moments. Um, so boundaries, I think two things. One is, it sounds like a bit like you, you and your wife, uh, my husband and I hunt in a pack. So that's really good. It means that when, you know, when we are in the, the world of being able to entertain and go out in the evenings and things, we have, we have similar um sort of connections and so we can do that together so that makes a big yeah, difference that's true um i have always slept really well um so when i put my head on the pillow at night i think as i said before you know if you know you've done the best you possibly can do i, I just am incapable of torturing myself yeah. uh, with you know thoughts of what i could have should have it's a, just a waste of time and, and i love sleep so i just see if i have to see a pillow i'm very lucky there stay, stay um, with that stay with that one of my favorite mm. books i don't know if you come across it um, is there's two which are quite fun. What one is if you see the Buddha on the road, kill him, which is a quite a strange <laughs> opening right. line, I'll but it's, it it's, bits for, it's bits for advice. The other one, which is even better, um, and I listen to audiobooks being someone who's dyslexic, it's my way of learning. I probably listen to about 60 audiobooks a year, so I'm just constantly soaking them up and finding the good ones. Um, but this one I love is Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, and it's all small mm -hmm. stuff, and it was based on uh, the author. Um, wrote a book and uh, he had a forward which he, he used Dr. Wayne Dar, who'd done a forward for him before and they put the same forward on this book which he hadn't asked permission for told the publisher not to do it all the books were put abroad with it on and, and he had to write to Wayne Dar and apologize and Wayne wrote back and he said don't sweat the small stuff rule number one in life rule number two it's all small stuff publish just get on with it and I just Brilliant. like you've been through such harrowing experiences, you know, particularly with Patrick mm. and all that you've done mm. that puts it in perspective, don't you think? Because I get I get the sense totally. that you don't totally, totally, totally. And you know, if you surround yourself with the best people you can afford as well, then you can share a lot of the load. I think the people who try and keep everything to themselves and so on are, are definitely missing a trick. So I, I make my problems other people's as well. Yeah, um, I agree. So yeah. Um, and and in terms of the the, the I had this the dark moments I had at the time um, Patrick was in hospital as I say I was there the whole time I came out of hospital um, and uh, shortly after that my then husband left me uh, which was really shitty Can I say that um, and um, so and then at work I was managing director for somebody else's business and I came back from. Um, you know, having been in the hospital, living on the hospital food and sort of, you know, put on a few pounds, but we're talking about nothing significant. And there was a book on my desk one day and it was called How to Dine Out and Lose Weight. And it had the inscription, remember Emma, pile on the profits, not the pounds. So Whoa. all these terrible things happen at oh. the same time. And it's just like so beastly. Um, and I just remember thinking, I deserve more than this. I am better than this. And I think this is my, uh, one of my things to people is back yourself. Don't kind of, you know, however dark it is. And it was pretty dark at that time in terms of always awful things happening at the same time. And I just remember thinking, no, I am, you know, and the only, the only thing I had in at that time in my life was a, um, a job and a salary and I wasn't getting sort of money from elsewhere. And so, you know, the last thing you do at that moment is give up your job and set up your own agency. But that's exactly what I did. I backed myself. Um, and luckily, I had somebody who also believed in me who said that they would underwrite me. Um, and, and off I went. And I think, you know, it's often in those darkest moments that we mm. sort of reach out. And, and um, I, I take this from my son, you know, who sort of, you know, and you grab opportunities with both hands. Um, and, uh, and so that's what I did. So that was the catalyst for me. And I think any crisis, it's like the sort of, you'll know the old Chinese symbol for, or the word for crisis is made up of two symbols of danger and opportunity. And, and, and it's so true. And I think everybody needs to look. It's like when there's been a crisis as well, you need to look back and say, what could I have done better so that next time you 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 learn from it and improve and um and that 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 that's shaped a lot of my sort of way of thinking. 
Yeah, uh, it so resonates with me. Uh, I've been reading another book called uh, Life is in the Transition. So that transition that you went through, and they describe it like a car crash, but then you had a multiple pileup because not only <laughs> did you have Patrick, but you, you came back to the, the husband leaving you and then yeah. the shitty job with the comment about pile on the profits, not mm. the pounds. Uh, that's a multiple pileup. But in yeah, that, exactly. that's given you the resilience and the tenacity to go through anything and, and don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah. After that, and it can't get worse. Small. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, and I have to tell I really you, I did sleep that. during that time. Yeah. <laughs> I still slept. <laughs> that, that, is, that is remarkable. Um, conscious of your time, last couple of minutes is, um, and please stay on when we stop recording. We'll just have a little chat at the end. Um, uh, what would you like your legacy to be? And what's a book that you've read recently that you'd recommend to people, particularly pertinent for the times we're in now, perhaps? Um, I think legacy would be, and I don't want this to sound sort of uh, naff, in, but, but is to have really introduced greater diversity into the organisations that I'm involved with. And I'm actively uh, engaged in trying to make that happen. Um, and to be known for having helped create organizations where the culture is one of the ones where everybody wants to work, you know, as part of that team and that organization. I think that's, uh, that's wonderful. And, and, and with my family, I remember something I was doing, I was asked, um, what would you, how would your daughter describe you? And I thought, I have no idea. So I asked her and she said, as a warrior, Oh, um, which I thought was really nice. And so I think I'm, I'm a happy sticking with that. Um, and the book is definitely the Brewer's Diction, Dictionary of Phrase and Fable, um, because it's just a fascinating um, sort of romp through uh, things about language and etymology of words and culture and myths and legend. And it's it's such a great book. And I think it's been going for about 150 years and it just, you know, if you want to know where certain sayings come from and things. So, yeah. it's, you know, it's fascinating. Well, Emma, I've really enjoyed having you on the series. Thank you very much for, for making the time. Thank you for inviting me. From Barbados. Um, so stay online, but thank you very much for being on the series. Really enjoyed that. Thank you. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, Get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.